Welcome back to the All About F1 podcast. Uh, I'm Felix. I'm, as ever, with my co-host Tristan. Hello. Good. <laughs> <laughs> and today um, we're back. It's a little bit late. We apologise, but we're back with our Bahrain Grand Prix uh, review. So yeah. you may have listened to our preview. Uh, we sort of looked at pre-season testing and who we thought were going to be strong. Um and, you know, I think we got some things quite right. Um, other things that were not necessarily shocks, but not everything went according to plan for some teams, Tristan, did they? No. So especially I'd like to firstly start off with what I think was the biggest shock for me, which was Aston Martin being mm. much, much further down the order than I think anyone was expecting. You know, having been in the the fight for third last season it's a huge step backwards to be you know scrapping away for 12th 15th something like that you know even out of the points entirely and Stroll was very very lucky I feel to have scored at all um in a race like that but as we know you know it's still only the first race so we can't make too many judgments but I think that was a bit of a shocker that took everyone by surprise. Um, not so much of a shocker. Um, that's a slow. Um, mm. you already see the scenes of Drive to Survive right now. Gunter's going to be having a bit of a rant at Mazepin after what was uh, a bit of an underwhelming debut for the two rookies. Um, but we go over that later. Um yeah, and then finally, I'd like to draw some attention to Alfa Romeo, who were actually surprisingly strong this weekend. And mm. likewise, Ferrari, they've definitely made improvements to the power unit. They're still not yeah, well, where they want to be, but they're in a very, very good position right now. So that's my overall take on uh, what might have been different to what we were expecting. Yeah, I think you're spot on. Uh, I've got the results up here. I don't want to give too much away because I'm basically just never listening to the podcast. Um, but yeah, I totally agree. You know, Alfa Romeo, we saw them a lot closer to the sort of Williams and Haas last season. They sort of, they look they look stronger. I think that's, as I've said, that's partly to do with Ferrari looking stronger. And of course, Alfa Romeo sort of play the unofficial B team to Ferrari. I mean, at the moment, Neither Giovinazzi or Raikkonen are going to go into the Ferrari seat, but we've seen, you know, Leclerc uh, in recent years be promoted from Alfa Romeo to Ferrari, so they sort of have connection. Um, and yeah, you know, Red Bull, who looked super impressive in uh, testing. Uh, I mean, it's it's a weird one because Red Bull were a lot closer to Mercedes than they were last year, but it, we're all going, ah, you know. Ah, could they've had a better race and we'll get into the, all the controversies that surrounded that um but tristan do you think that was a good season opener do you think it portrayed f1 in a good light to the rest of the world i think overall it was a fantastic season opener perhaps maybe one of the best we've seen in years because we actually had a very very close fight at the front um which we haven't seen for a couple of years now um and the midfield was so extremely intense that, you know, it, it really, it wets my appetite for the rest of the season. Um, and I'm, I'm absolutely ready to see 
the likes of Alpine um, and McLaren and Ferrari all battling it out and as well joining the ranks Alpha Tori who have really had a stunner here um, Yuki Sonoda looks fast doesn't he oh yeah he was definitely worth the hype for this one and I think he's definitely going to be one to watch in the future and uh, Imola too um, going on to the next race he's going to be definitely course, a highlight we know AlphaTauri do a lot at Imola anyway it's all of their unofficial home race mm. so um, but yeah it was sort of quite telling I remember me and you were watching the highlights when Yuki Sonoda was overtaking Seb Vettel in the Aston Martin it really felt like sort of the new blood overtaking the old guard mm. um, yeah benching you know, of the guard yeah, you used to know that I think is the is he the first driver to be born in the 21st century to compete in F1. Tell me if I'm wrong there. Yeah, he is. Uh, yeah. He's 20 years old this year, I think. So, yeah, so, very, very young. Mm. Um, but yeah, anyway, without further ado, let's uh, let's go into it. Let's dive yep. into practice. Yes, right. So this is this is two weeks later than well, actually, two weeks and two days. Uh, later than practice happened, so to refresh your memory, I won't I won't read out everybody's time. Um, but first practice, uh, it was Max Verstappen one, Valtteri Bottas two, Lando Norris three, Lewis Hamilton four, and Charles Leclerc five, and the rest of the grid, uh, sort of Alfa Romeo's in tenth, ten and eleven, Aston Martin twelve, thirteen, Alpine were quite low, so fifteen and sixteen. Mm. Uh, second practice two, Verstappen was fastest again, Lando Norris second, Lewis Hamilton third, Carlos Sainz fourth, Valtteri Bottas fifth. And again, the sort of the pack was very mixed. Um, and the horses again were Nikita Mazepin was propping up the table once again. And then in third practice, uh, Max Verstappen one, Lewis Hamilton two, Pierre Gasly three. Valtteri Bottas 4, Sergio Perez 5. And again, once again, it's really quite... Which I think is interesting um, is that last year we had the midfield. It was really Mercedes and Red Bull were the two top teams. And then the midfield was really competitive. But what, mm. ex what is exciting about this year is the midfield feels a lot closer to the front pack. Yeah. Um, so it's not like McLaren are going for third. It's McLaren... Can I mean this won't they won't regularly be up there I don't think but they can they have the pace the challenge more frequently than I think I felt last season there had to be a retirement for you know other cars to start to challenge for podium positions and I think this season generally down to pure pace and power that other teams can start to challenge so what were your thoughts of practice Tristan I think you know as far as practice goes this was you know quite an average sort of session but. You know, we did see a couple of the smaller names getting up there. So, for instance, Gasly uh, coming in at third in free practice three, showing AlphaTauri's pace brilliantly, um, and Ferrari also being up there quite regularly too. Um, yeah, I mean, in terms of practice, practice is practice. Nothing really tends to happen, but this, as you say, it everyone seems a lot closer this year, and I think that's partially what the regulations were designed to do was not only ease off on the tyre wear, but also bring the field much closer together to create more exciting racing. Uh, and I think they have succeeded in doing that. As we see, the gap is 
gradually coming down as the races go on. And I hope that this trend continues because, as I say, we've seen an absolute shocker of a race here uh, in Bahrain. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very, very excited now for the rest of the season to see what happens. It's interesting. Um, I didn't want to mention this before you spoke because it was interesting that both our gut reactions were, it feels a lot closer. Um, without going too much into it, uh, the race time, Lewis, Lewis Hamilton completed the race at one hour and 32 seconds and Max Verstappen was just under a second behind him. The next closest driver was 40 seconds behind them and that was Valtteri Bottas. Um, compared to Bahrain last year, you know, it was Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen 1.2 seconds behind and Alex Albon 8 seconds behind and then Lando Norris 11 seconds behind. Mm. Which I don't think is so much the cars aren't closer this year, but I think it's just Hamilton and Verstappen drive each other on. Because if we go from there, Valtteri Bottas was 30 seconds behind, then Lando Norris is about uh, eight seconds behind, and then Perez, Leclerc, they're all closer to each other in terms of Bottas and Perez. But it's just Verstappen and Hamilton who just, just re- really are. That is the picture definition of league of their own, really. Mm. Yeah, I just want to bring to your attention, though, that last year, of course, it it's an accurate representation of what last year was. But I think I just want to draw your attention to the fact that that actually finished under safety car, I think. Yeah. yeah. So there was a reason why they were closer. But as you say, they are definitely in a league of their own. I mean, Bottas just, he wasn't really close enough. Um to challenge them. Maybe that was down to Mercedes' questionable strategy, let's say. Um, but Bottas, I think, is definitely underperforming it as it stands right now. So hopefully I'd, I'd like to see him get closer and everyone get closer. Um, but yeah, I, I wasn't expecting the gap to Hamilton and Verstappen to be quite as vast as it is. Because, I think astronomical is the word for it. Yeah, it, it really is. As you say, it puts them in a league of their own. It's really astounding to see this sort of thing. Mm. Yeah. I said it's, re- it's really difficult to uh, gauge with uh, Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton, is it? Our Valtteri Bottas and, you know, we can't we can't talk about Sergio Perez because he's been in the car for one race. Yeah. Um, but our these drivers are Verstappen Hamilton just so phenomenally quick that they are not sort of sort of not even human in the way that they can get so much out of the car because they're clear you know they're just exceptional drivers mm. and they're actually Bottas and Perez still phenomenally good drivers without being you know sort of a Hamilton Verstappen level and they actually doing well out of the car but they just can't compete to those, you know, can't compete with those two. That's the difficult thing. So we can't, we can't really have, it's quite hard to gauge with drivers like Hamilton and Verstappen what average is without, you know, oh, if Sergio Perez isn't, you know, exactly next to Max Verstappen, does that mean he's underperforming? But at the same time, is Max Verstappen a one in a generational talent? 
and we've got no right to ask Sergio Perez to be up there with him. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so that's a little that's a little philosophical question. Yeah, I mean, um, I think you're you're absolutely right. You know, Max is truly exceptional, and as is Hamilton. You know, they are, as you put it, once in a generation talents. But we can't underestimate drivers like Perez and Bottas because. I think why the teams wanted them was because they were relatively consistent, especially Perez last year. His consistency, he wasn't always quite up there fighting for podiums and things, but he was consistently scoring strong points, which was what secured him fourth in the championship. So I think that's just what Red Bull need if they are to try and take the fight to Mercedes this season. Um, so, yeah, it's really important to, as good as Max and Lewis are, we can't underestimate. These are the best drivers in the world. But, yeah, we we can't really underestimate these guys because they are just top quality, best of the best. Mm. It's interesting because how do you get the best? In F1, there's a difficult balance because, of course, you want two very quick drivers in a team, but... At the same time, there's usually a clear indication of who is a quicker driver. Mm. You know, it's very rare that you sort of have, you know, one of the rare instances was Nico and Lewis, or because Max wasn't quite mature, I could argue, I would say Daniel and Max were at the same level when they're at Red Bull. And to get the best out of the world greats like, Hamilton, Verstappen, and actually looking back in time, interestingly, Schumacher, um, do you have to have a driver who doesn't compete, who isn't, you know, competing closely with those top drivers to get back, you know, get the best out of them? So Michael Schumacher, of course, uh, his partner was Rubens Barrichello in the Ferrari, who was a fast driver, but he was never, you know, he was never going to win multiple world championships. Um, at the same time, uh, Ferna- Fernando Alonso at, um, uh, at Renault, of course, had Giancarlo Fisichella, who at the same time, you don't, you wouldn't have down as someone who's going to win lots of world championships. But looking to, uh, you know, Max and Daniel, they sort of blew each other up. Nico Lewis, there was a very volatile relationship. Yeah. To an extent, Mark Webber and Seb Vettel and also in that McLaren car in 2007 and uh, 2007, Fernando Alonso and Loomis Hamilton sort of, because they had such constant fighting, they ended up handing the title to Kenny Raikkonen. Yeah. Which was actually real shame. Yeah. And it, it's an interesting debate. I, I don't know the science behind it. I don't have the stats. I'm sure someone's written something somewhere, but actually for some certain, if you are the world's best, you're quite a selfish driven individual and actually having a partner, that's, I mean, to use bad language, right up your ass the whole time. Does that actually not mean that you can get, you you can't be so focused, you're constantly worrying about beating your teammate. Now, I know Lewis and Max will both be wary of their teammates' talents, but is Lewis Hamilton having sleepless nights over Valtteri Bottas outscoring him over the course of a season? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. But uh, in comparison, I'm sure Lewis and Max would, were both very worried when, both Nico and Daniel are in the car thinking, I've got to beat this guy. You know, there's no guarantee I'm beating this guy week in, week out. I have to be on my A game. And actually, by 
constantly thinking you have to be on your A game. Does that mean you're not? Because it's not a routine of getting in the car, driving it to its limit. You've got other things thinking, oh, God, I've got to outscore him. I've got to outperform him. Mm. The added pressure definitely um, can hinder the driver's mentality. And it can, as we see, we, it can have a serious, serious impact on the way that they drive. And they become not only much more aggressive, but they become inconsistent and a real danger to the team's progress. Um, mm. So, yeah, I think the idea of having, to put it slightly and politely, a second fiddle, um, it's probably better for the teams to have like a second driver, so to speak. And they're not always treated as second drivers, but... They are definitely not quite at the standard of their teammate so that the team can function properly. Because if you have two teammates that constantly clash and collide and, you know, they drag each other down. Yeah, we've seen again and again and again that hurts both drivers more than it, you know, helps them. Mm. Um, yeah, I think you make a really interesting point. I think, you know, you sometimes see interviews, interviewers be quite sly saying, Sergio, do you Sergio, do you feel you're the second driver in this team? Or Valtteri, do you feel that there's not equal treatment? Mm. And I know there's that Toto Wolf thing in Drive Survive. They say, he's Lewis, you're number one driver. And he goes, fuck you. <laughs> um, and I think, actually, Valtteri and Sergio will be the two most aware people in the world that they're second drivers. Mm. Um, but I think it's really interesting what you say about, you know, second fiddle and team orders and all stuff like that because at the end of the day you both can't come across the line at the same time and say hey we both take 25 points yeah yeah there's always going to be one guy get 25 and one guy who gets 18 and seven points difference i mean that's that's chunky yeah that's why if you're both competing for a title it will get sort of how he's clearly got the better strategy that's so unfair on me and there's there's just bound to be friction Whereas, you know, if Valtteri Bottas doesn't get, uh, if Lewis Hamilton gets a better strategy than Valtteri Bottas, Valtteri probably goes, okay, this guy's won seven world championships. You know, I can kind of see why he's getting the better strategy than me. Mm. Um, but anyway, it's a really interesting discussion. We yeah. have naturally, it's a little bit more coverage on <laughs> Bahrain practice, not really Bahrain practice anymore. But anyway, that's really Moving interesting. On. <laughs> really nice to get your thoughts on that. Um, Anyway, qualification. Um, so I'll go from the bottom of the order up. So Q1. Um, 20th was Nikita Mazepin. Um, it was 90th. Uh, so both halves at the bottom of the table. Yeah. 18th was Sebastian Vettel. Uh, Nicholas Latifi was 17th. And uh, Espen Akon was 16th. So Tristan, in Q1, I think that both Seb Vettel and Esteban Ocon, you know, would be very disappointed that both that low down. Yeah. But I think this, um, I'm not sure if you're aware of this incident, but Mazepin had that spin um, at the end. Mm, yeah. In going into the first corner, and that really hindered both Ocon's and Vettel's laps. And they had to lift through there, um, which clearly the FIA didn't think Vettel did enough. And then subsequently brought him straight to the back of the grid with a penalty, um, which I didn't think was really fair. Um, but, you know, the rules are the rules. Um, 
but definitely it's not where we expected to see, especially a driver, a four-time world champion and someone who was Mercedes reserve driver. It's not really where you'd be expecting to see them. I mean, I'd at least be expecting Q2 for these guys. And I think it would have been, I wouldn't have been shocked to see the Alphas in their place instead, or Russell, for instance. But moving on to Russell now, just briefly, mm. absolutely pumped everything out of that Williams. There, I mean, even though he didn't set a competitive time in Q2, you know, he, two, se- two seconds off the pace, but yeah, that's because he didn't get the right lap that he wanted. Um, but it's really, really impressive. And I think this is going to be making Mercedes consider him a lot more um, than ever before, constantly seeing him massively outperform the car here. Yeah, I think we're certainly going to see Williams. I think we could see both. I, I don't think it's out of the question seeing both Williams going to pick up points this season. Mm. I know this is going to come back to haunt me and we're going to be sitting here in December going, I can't believe Williams are on zero points. Yes. How is it um, then, lads? Um, but yeah, I, they look they look faster. They look more. I mean, don't get me wrong. Don't feel, feel misleaded by they're looking faster. They're still s- slower than they should be, Williams. Mm. Um, but I feel, with no disrespect to the old Williams family, I feel that fresh investment and new change was something very necessary. I'm not criticizing was... Williams and Claire Williams and the way they ran their team, but I think they did just need fresh energy, fresh people, you know, lots of mo- not lots of money, but you know, good investment. Yeah, a solid base yeah. to build their future on, and. Things are starting to look up for with him. So I think this, as you say, was exactly what was necessary to move the team forward from what seems like a a black hole in the ruthless cycle that is Formula One. Um, You know, every year they're just gradually getting dragged further and further down the field. So, And this is the first year we've seen them really make that that sort of... They're at the bottom. They were at the bottom of the gradient last year. Hmm. And uh, they, you know, suddenly it's it's starting to curve back up again. I think. Yeah. So hopefully this is the turning point everyone wants to see. You know, everyone wants to see. Well, hopefully everyone wants to see uh, Williams competing at the front again because they're they're a household name of Formula One. You know, they're yeah. massively respected within the sport, and I don't think anyone really wanted to see them drop out or get sold or, you know converted into some B team or something. I think that would be, even for the other teams, they would just hate to see that. Yeah, I think it's, I think we, I've said this before. I mean, if we, if we could, we'd want everybody, you know, to come, you know, everyone to get points, Mm. you know, then everyone comes first, uh, 10th or whatever. But I I think Williams, interesting what you say about Williams being a household name, because if you think, I mean, Williams are one of the most successful teams in the sport. You know, Mansell, Hill, um, you know, even, even you know, in this decade, a Bottas and Massa. I mean, those guys came third, didn't they, in the championship? Yeah. In 2013 or 14 or something. 2014, I think it was. Yeah, 2014. Um, so, Williams, even, it's not like, yeah, well, they were good in the 90s. They're not good anymore. I mean, they, they have been a good team this this decade and I think it really just 
Williams, as you said, there just wasn't enough looking to the future. It was how can we improve the car this season? And actually, you can get very quickly stuck stuck in a rut. Anyway, uh, moving on to Q2. Yes. Uh, <laughs> George Russell, 15th. Uh, but as you said, he wasn't able to get in a solid lap there. Time, yeah. Um, so, you know, for all we know, he could have been higher. Yeah. Kimi Raikkonen, 14th. Uh, Yuki Tsunoda, 13th. Antonio Giovinazzi, 12th. And... Uh, Sergio Perez, 11th. What did you make of you two, Tristan? I thought it was a good session. Really, really solid. Obviously, less so for Red Bull. I think mm. they did make the wrong call in the end there. Um, sending him out on the medium was far too overconfident, I feel, for when they were still figuring out how quick the Mercedes really was. It, it was the wrong idea. And if you look at the lap times here, you know, Perez... Actually, even though he did go quicker in that second session, he was still barely scraping by. And it he's not out by a massive margin, but still, I do feel like Red Bull very much made the wrong call there. Um, but moving on to Sonoda, it's a very, very solid debut uh, quality for him. Obviously, I'm sure he would have... Every driver wants to be on pole, obviously, but... For a rookie, this is he's the highest qualifying rookie and he clearly has very, very good pace. Um and I think he probably he had more to show, I think. If had he put in the lap he did in Q one, he would have actually been in Q three, uh, which is what I'm seeing here. Um which I think would have been very interesting to see a rookie in Q three um on debut, which would mm. have really spiced things up. Um in the paddock. So yeah, obviously could have gone better, but for Yuki, I think he should be pretty chuffed with that. Uh, it's a solid way to start. Raikkonen and Giovinazzi, you know, they're a lot higher up than I thought they'd be. You know, last season they were still struggling to score any points. So to be this close to the top 10 is, it's impressive. It's a, it's a big step forward. I think again, showing signs of the, the Ferrari power unit improving um, from last year, um, which is really good to see. So, yeah, overall, I'd say I'm, I'm, I'm very happy with that. What are your thoughts? Yeah. I think you've really, you've really covered with all I can say about Q2. Yeah. Um, I thought it was Yuki Tsunoda. Of course, you know, he did even better in the race. Um, and, you know, yeah. I, I agree with you. I think it was a surprising call the Red Bull decided to go on the medium tar. You know, uh, Sergio's first quality session in his new car. I mean, Q3, of course, you're going to cruise, cruise through that. But Q2, that, <coughs> as we saw, there was no guarantee that you're going to head into it. So I think medium was quite a bold call. I mean, if he'd been in the car for three years and know how it handles and stuff, then, you know, I can understand why they'd make a gutsy call like that. But I think you you play it safe. Mm. Um, you know, there's no, there's no need to risk. Sort of, I can understand why they did that, but I felt felt it was a risk they didn't have to make. Yeah, um, with Q3. Yeah, yeah, precisely. Um, so Q3, uh, Lance Stroll tenth, uh, Fernando Alonso ninth, Carlos Sainz eighth, Lando Norris seventh, Daniel Ricciardo sixth, Pierre Gasly fifth, Charles Leclerc fourth, Valtteri Bottas. <laughs> Third, Lewis Hamilton second, and the big man Max Verstappen 
first. Yeah. Um, it was quite a quite a chunk, chunky, chunky lead from Max. It wasn't exactly like Lewis was, you know, like right. one tenth behind. Yeah. Um, and it was nice to see. I mean, Lance Stroll is only what one one and a half seconds basically behind Max Verstappen. So it's you know we we've, we've seen in you know previous years you know it can sort of even at Q10 it can sort of be stretched out by nearly three seconds, which is absurd. Yeah. Uh, but it, it you know it it looked you know just as a, you know the two McLarens separated by point zero you know zero point zero five seconds you know very very um, fine margins yeah which is as we talked about and we have said constantly everyone wants to see closer racing so you know great day for max um solid for mercedes they'll be glad that they managed to get second and third without their drivers getting pole um and you know i think ferrari and uh pierre they'll, ferrari will be really happy to have Charles on that fourth mm. That you starting fourth, and you know, really, it was just I, I feel like it was a weekend full of confidence for Alpha Tori. I mean, uh, you know, I, it was it was Paul Pierre in the race, we'll get to that. Um, but it just felt like Alpha Tori, you know, for many years, sort of Toro Ross, they I mean, they are officially Red Bull B team, basically. Yeah. Um, and it's um, it's very rare that we see, you know, they are always sort of definitively slower than Red Bull. And it really depends on how Red Bull do, Toro Rosso do. But Toro Rosso, they feel like they have an ambitious lineup of talented drivers. It's not people. I mean, of course, Gasly and Yuki are waiting in Red Bull wings. But sometimes uh, you get the feeling that people are only in Red Bull because it's only going to be a matter of time before they're going to move up to Red Bull. But you feel these guys are really fighting for a seat, and I think that drives the whole team on. They feel a lot more like Alpha Tori than Red Bull Mark II yeah. um, this season. And it's we got that team. hint of last season as well. Um, I, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think Alpha Tori are in a seriously, seriously strong position this season. I mean, with the massive Honda upgrades that came this season... Um, it's their last push before Red Bull take over the the power unit altogether for the, the next couple of years. So it's a massive step forward for the car, a car that was already reasonably quick and moving up the field with every year. I think Alfatoria, he looks so, so strong right now that, yeah, it, it was a real shame to see um, Paul Pierre, as you said, um, but we'll get on to that. Um, but in terms of quality, this is such a strong way to open the season. And I think Red Bull will probably start treating them as equals quite soon. They're becoming much more of a, a sister team than a B team, I feel, uh, especially. I, cu- I couldn't I couldn't put it better, Tristan. I think you're I think you're spot on. Um, I mean, it's quite I've got the stats up here. It's quite hard to compare points because of course mm. in there was a points change I think it used to only be like wasn't it used to be like only 15 points for a win and you only got points if you came 7 yeah. um, and then so they changed that in 2010 yeah. um, but I'm just going to read out so uh, this is the Toro Rosso facts I have here okay. um, Toro Rosso came ninth, 7th uh, they came 6th but that was the year they had Seb Vettel yeah. um, uh, then 10th, 9th 8th, 9th, 8th, 7th, 
seven, 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 nine, uh, and then six. So, I mean, this this may be me just waffling here, but I feel like this the rebrand from Toro Rosso to Alfa Tori was also sort of was the really the start of this move away as we're just here to get drivers into Red Bull. Mm. It was the first sort of change, which is okay. Well, Alfa Tori, we're actually here to race and compete. Um, and, you know, that's, you know, eight. That's, you know, they got the old points here and there. You know, you'll have drivers coming, you know, ninth and tenth. Um, but now they're really starting to have drivers, uh, you know, not quite, of course, not compete for podiums, but, you know, competing for definitely more substantial points. You know, fifth, fifth, that's a, that's a big chunk of points. Yeah. And, you know, last year they came, I don't know if I can just get up, you know, they came seventh, which we all felt was a little bit harsh. I think they probably, you know, they, I think they outscored Williams, Haas um, and Alfa Romeo, but they were clearly ahead of those three. By a very, very long way. Yeah, by over, well, 100 points gap to all of them, at least. So, yeah, very... Um, I'm going to quickly try and get up the constructors' table for 2020. Yeah, I don't know. Very dominant in comparison for them. Um, but yeah, hang on. Uh, you may have that in front of you, mm. but yeah, <coughs> so clearly ahead of uh, the rest. And I think, I think they look faster than or as fast as Alpine this year. Um, and they're faster than Aston Martin. And I think, as I said, seventh was probably. It feels harsh, um, but I feel they only really sort of... You really saw signs of the Alfa Tori I hope we're going to see, and we did see glimpses of again in Bahrain, uh, sort of towards the end of the season. Yeah, of course, Alfa Tori sort of... I think the problem is Alfa Tori's progress was sort of... we. It was quite hard to judge them, because when people came to the end of the year, they thought, Alfa Tori, I mean, Pierre Gasly won! I mean, yes, but that was... In the middle. You know, stroke... That wasn't because Alpha Tori, that wasn't because the Alpha Tori fast was car in its own fast in its own right. That was because, you know, sheer luck. No offense. Mm. It was sheer luck yeah. that they got in that position. Um and there were other races where Alpha Tori performed really well, but actually people didn't say because they were so sort of Pierre Gasly won, it must have been a fantastic year for Alpha Tori. Um and actually I think if we do start to see Alpha Tori as a bit more of a force in F one, I think people actually will Look back at Danny Cavia. I think, I think he's such a good, good. I think he's such an underrated driver in terms of F one and his talent. Um, uh, because you know, I think Danny Cavia was a very good driver, um, and that's reflected uh, in his performance. I mean, he is a consistent point scorer if you put him in a good car. And I think people will look back at Danny Cavia and think he actually really helped. I mean, he carried Red Bull. Um, sorry, Toro Rosso for so many years. Mm. Yeah. Um, I mean, he was I don't, a really, really underrated driver uh, in his time in the sport. And I think yeah. in his prime, he was definitely capable. I'm not sure if he did ever win a Grand Prix, but I think he definitely... No, he got on the, he got on the podium quite a few yeah, times. Yeah, but he, he definitely deserved to win a Grand Prix, I think, at, at some point. It's the same sort of cases with Grosjean. Yeah, Grosjean Magnussen, he really is one of those drivers who, and this is why people are worried with Seb Vettel, is they 
they'll only be remembered for their last seasons really when yeah. they weren't quite as successful there's yeah i think the sport has have uh, has a real influx of fans in the last couple of years fantastic you know young fans it's so much more televised and i think it really is becoming much more of an international sport so much uh greater accessibility mm. And lots of people now look at Seb Vettel and did with Magnussen, Grosjean, uh, and Kvyat and think, you know what, these guys, you know, they come like 10th every couple of races. These guys aren't good drivers. But in their youth, in the fast car, and even, um, you know, Danny Kvyat was in Red Bull, what, he raced Red Bull 2015. I mean, that was really Red Bull at its worst, effectively, in the last decade. Of course, they had that fantastic run at the beginning. Um, and then they really did have a tough year that year. Um, so Vettel had left. They were really sort of trying to find direction. Danny Ricciardo still hadn't really matured. He was still a young driver. Mm. And, you know, I think if you put Danny Kvyat, Danny Kvyat then in the Red Bull car of now, and I think he would, he wouldn't be as quick as Verstappen, but I, th I think he'd still be a very quick driver. Yeah, I think he, unfortunately he wasn't, considered for a seat last season uh well for this season uh unfortunately but the uh, secure rowers reserve driver means that teams are taking into account that he is a very experienced driver now and that he is actually rather consistent he's been very good at just sort of sneaking into the points on a fair regular mm. basis so yeah it, it's a shame once again to not see him in the sport this year but yeah I mean we'll, we'll just have to see what happens yeah this is going to be quite unlikely um, so I don't want to say it and then sort of people people expect it but I think depending on how rookie the rookies do in Haas this year mm. um, and Haas decide okay two rookies that we really we kind of got that call wrong Um Danny Kvyat has Russian. He does have quite a lot of backing behind him. And I would not put it past Haas. If I was Haas, Nikita Mazepin, let's say, is just, you know, rubbish. You know, it, he's, I mean, he's even all the money he brings in, he's really not worth keeping the Haas car. They keep Mick Schumacher on, who's been okay. And do, you know, sort of what Red Bull are doing with Perez, do they bring Danny Kvyat in for one season, sort of calm it down, a guy who knows his way around F1? can score points. Um, do you bring him in for a couple of seasons, sort of calm down the team, sort of what, uh, you know, we've seen teams do in the past with actually, I wanted to say Haas or Grosjean and Magnussen, but we have seen teams in the past bring in sort of old pros, you know, people who are experienced um, and sort of calm, sort of calm the team down because, you know, rookies, it really is, it can be quite a gamble hiring a rookie. Mm. And it can get quite intense within the team. Um, yeah, and there can Especially be friction caused because of it. Um, with the and the team can get frustrated. Yeah, because if I'm working at Haas and I've dealt with Kevin and uh, Roman, who probably have combined so, sort of nearly twenty years' experience on the F1 grid, you know yeah. these guys. You don't have to tell these guys. Ah, suddenly I've got two young guys um, who don't really know what they're doing. And, you know, sort of, you, if you're, if I'm a Haas engineer, Nikita Mazepin, he's been shit all weekend, no offence. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I'm watching him race, lights out, away we go. I see him spin the car in the first corner. I mean, 
yeah, you know, haha, Roman Grosjean, you know, he spins the car. R- Roman Grosjean would not spin the car on the first Grand Prix of the season in the first corner. Mm. Now, experienced drivers just know. I mean, no we, we lost in Memphis. And, you know, Schumacher, you know, did badly, I think, on the second lap or something. They both, every other driver apart from those two, didn't go on this high curve and they both went straight over it, didn't they? Yeah. I think they were um, they were trying to take a Formula Two line, which I think is yeah. what Yuki didn't do. Yuki actually, I think, was listening to his engineer before the race and sort of taking into account that this is very, very different to Formula Two. Um, you can't just bomb it and then break leg and sort of get round. Yeah, it's not, the yeah. car's a lot more sensitive. So, like in Formula Two, you have to completely jam the brakes. I think is the idea and you can be a lot more aggressive yeah. with the throttle but in formula one everything's you know, like, a lot more precise so yeah i think they were it wasn't really the right approach to have and i think uh the engineers have definitely got a very long season ahead of them now yeah and i mean all rookies have got to learn um you know that's part of the process Haas will be aware of that but at the same time the best rookies, okay, they get in and they, they try and learn. So I think I saw something about when Hamilton was a rookie. Like, he constantly wanted to learn and, like, engross information. And so he spent loads of time sort of in and around the cars between testing and at the, at the factory. And by the time he got to that first Grand Prix weekend, he was actually, he, he was really confident in what he was doing. He sort of knew the car. He knew the team. He knew his routine. He sort of had a routine all planned out um, where, you know, you can sort of be a bit like deer in headlights. I'm sure your first F1 weekend is, you know, nerve wracking as hell. Um, and that doesn't help if you, if you feel comfortable in yourself and what you're doing in your job. That takes a lot of pressure off. But if you're coming, if I'm coming to Bahrain as a new driver, so I'm like, okay, where do I go? What do I do? What do you want me to do? You know, how do I approach certain corners? I mean, this is stuff you should have, you know, you should have done your homework weeks ago. We shouldn't be telling you what lines you need to be taking corners, what, you know, a couple of days before the race. Yeah. I mean, they literally tested there. So how they've managed to get it quite so wrong is really astounding to me. And I... A tweet has come to mind from Jack Aitken, who I'm not sure if you remember was George Russell's substitute in Sakir. And he was saying, oh, now I think about it, I'm actually pretty proud of the, what was it, something like 50 laps he completed before spinning. And I, I think he's absolutely right. He has every right to say that. And I think Aitken probably would have been a better choice than even Mazepin. I mean... He just, he did a much, much better job in those laps. So I I don't know if this is just all of F2 or if this is just specifically the the idea of being in Formula 1. Okay, I've got to go now. I've got to really I think switch it on. And then suddenly they just, they've been it in the first corner. So it's about having mm. maturity and the, the correct mindset going into that first corner to be able to keep calm, keep the position and just make sure that you don't completely bomb it coming out of it. So, yeah, whether that's 
that will come with maturity for the drivers, which I really hope it does. Um, yeah, I guess yeah. only time will tell. Yeah, I think what, one one point, we'll move on to the race yeah. uh, fairly swiftly now, but one quick point is, you know, you can do all the homework you want. I think this is a quick point, sort of, you were, you were, you were hinting at sort of, is this every, people, is this something everyone in F2 would do? And you, uh, Jack Aiken, you know, of course, did, did, did really well on his debut. Um, uh, but actually, you sit in that car, you think, okay, I know, I take, I need to take this line here, this line here, blah, 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 blah. And suddenly it's your formation lap, and suddenly you're sitting there, boop, boop, boop. The, you know, the, you know, starting lights are going, and it's lights out. And let's be honest, on that first straight, when you're acceleration away from lights out, you're not going to think, hang on, what line am I taking on this corner? Mm. It's going to be straight to instinct. It's going to be straight to feel. I mean, it's all going to be such a rush, and I feel a danger with Nikita and what Mick did. It's okay. I'm, oh, oh, whoa, we're starting. Oh, oh. And then, you know, just, you know, what you're doing on instinct. And their instinct was to take that line. They weren't thinking about it, which is, I think, what, you know, technically, not saying they're not smart, but, you know, if I was thinking beforehand, I'd be aware that I'm not going to necessarily be, I'm going to panic. Not panic, but, you know, it's going to be really confusing when lights go away. I need to remember, okay, Okay, I'm here. I, I can't, I don't take that line. That line, I'm probably going to spin. You know, that will be what I'm thinking going into that first corner. I think probably what they did lights out, you're panicking, you're kind of positions, you know, people are overtaking. I need to overtake people. And you have to go straight to instinct. And I think they both would have gone over that curve purely because, you know, that's what they've done in Formula Two, Formula Three, whenever they've raced on the circuit previously. Mm. Um, so I think there's a there's sort of, Small psychological twist that. Um, but anyway, yeah, right. <laughs> moving on to the race. Um, I'm not. I'm not going to read out the, uh, the whole lineup. Um, but Nikita Mezkin, of course, we had a, did not fit. A bit of an one. interesting debut for him. Yeah, it wasn't great. Um, Fernando Alonso retired because it wasn't it. They found a plastic bag. Yeah, sandwich wrapper. Sandwich wrapper. That's that's. That's fantastic. I feel like only Fernando Alonso would retire due to a sandwich bag. Yeah. That's his luck. <laughs> it's such a shame because he, he was really having what was a solid race in the Alpine there. Yeah, I think he I think he was having a battle for eighth or something. Yeah, with, uh, with... um Sonoda, Vessel, yeah. Science. Yeah. Generally uh, midfield cars, yeah. Um, so you know that was a shame, actually. Um, it, it was a really exciting battle yeah, yeah. too um, to see Alonso and Vessel go wheel to wheel again. I felt it was really nostalgic and flashback. Yeah, flashback. We're back in. We're, we're sort of back in 2012, and actually, I envisage a Red Bull and Ferrari, you know, next to each other, going up by Rouge or something. Yeah, sort of. I got chills. I got absolute. I've got goosebumps, mate. Yeah, um, but yeah, so Nicholas Latif came 18. Uh, Pierre Gasly, 17. A real shame. For those of you who don't know, the reason Pierre Gasly said low is because from wing damage, you have to take an extra pit mm. stop. Play. If you don't know, basically, having to replace a front wing adds on a whole bunch of time onto what is already an extra pit stop, basically. Mm. 
and it just wrecks your race. Yeah, it just it ruins the um, whole thing. So, yeah, you really need a safety car yeah, and it, to it, have it. It wasn't to. even really Pierre's fault, really, because no, Ricardo was having who... to slow because he was alongside uh, Norris, I think, and then Gasly yeah, just got like caught up behind him, wasn't... and I think it was just racing instant, unfortunately. So really, yeah. really bad luck for Pierre there because he was on for such a solid result in the points. And I think AlphaTauri could have had a really, a much stronger weekend here had both cars you know, finished in the points. Yeah. Uh, so just, just some more highlights. Seb Bet, um, you know, I'll come back and you yeah, can give your opinion. That's fine. Um, so Seb Vettel came 15th. Uh, then the two Alphas, 11 to 12. Uh, Lance Stroll came 10th. Uh, Yuki 9th. Carlos 8th. Daniel 7th. Charles 6th. Uh, Sergio 5th. Uh, Lando 4th. Valtteri third, uh, Max second, and Lewis Hamilton first. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Seb Vettel, I mean, he started last mm. uh, due to penalty, but I think he would have liked to be a bit higher than 15th, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, this was, are we, are we willing to share the Ocon instant? Uh, if you remember it. Uh, you, you talk about it. I'm, I actually, uh, I, I wasn't really sure what happened. Okay, I, so... I sort of forgot. I think Ocon, I'm not sure if he had overtaken Vettel or Vettel had got very close to him anyway on the run down into turn one. Um, and then suddenly Vettel has a very similar moment to Baku 2018 with Daniel and Max and then Silverstone 2019 with himself and Verstappen when he just, he ploughed into the back of Ocon and completely wrecked his front wing. So... Whether that was, you know, a lockup or some kind of brake failure or something, it wasn't really something we expected to see from Vettel. And then afterwards, he comes on the radio saying, "Oh, why does he have to change line?" And as someone who generally supports Seb, as and I, I think Seb is a great driver, but that for a four-time world champion, that that showed a real lack of maturity there because, unfortunately, Seb was very much in the wrong there as Ocon had literally just been on the racing line. He didn't have to yield at all. He was absolutely fine. He didn't have to do anything there. And he was he was completely in the right. So a very, very disappointing end to Vettel's race there. I'm not sure. We're doing quite happened. a disappointing weekend in the South. Sorry? A disappointing end to what have been probably quite a disappointing weekend. Yeah. I think it could have gone a lot, like much, much better. It's just been a really terrible weekend overall for not just Aston Martin, but for Seb too. Um, mm. Yeah, that's that's my take on that incident. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we'll touch on how we talked about Alpha Tori, I think. I don't, I don't, I don't think yeah, we don't anymore. Need Ferrari, though. Ferrari, yes. Ferrari and McLaren. Talk to me what you thought about Ferrari and McLaren. Well, I think. Ferrari and McLaren, they're going to be quite close throughout this season by the looks of things. I mean, Ricardo obviously still adjusting to the car and things, and so is Science. And they were actually, they were only a second apart, Ricardo and Science. So, you know, for what, who people who are essentially rookies in their new cars, I think they put in a really solid result there, and it shows progress for Science from last year. And solid points for both teams. Um, and I think we could see 
this becoming the battle for thirds um emerging from this um yeah i'm personally i'm i'm very very excited to see what will happen with these drivers um i think science is aware that he's again playing second fiddle to leclerc because obviously seb and leclerc last season they were having that frictional that frictional relationship that we talked about earlier that hindered the team in what was already planning out to be a, a really tough season for them. Um, so this, I think, with Carlos being aware of this, he's still put in a solid result for the team. He hasn't got himself into any trouble, no penalties. And yeah, he's just, he's pulled a very, very good result. And Lando Norris in fourth, you have to give the man some credit. He, he really... He knuckled down and he, yeah, he gave a really solid race. I'm, I'm not sure where his grid, from seventh. So to overtake Daniel and then to you know, come home in fourth with great points for the team, I think, yeah, take a bow, Lando Norris. That was a really, really great race for him, in my opinion. Yeah, can we have some applause? Come on. Woo! Really, top quality. So... Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to see how this comes about, especially when things start to heat up coming towards the end of the season. Um, but yeah, we could see a lot of friction between the two teams and a couple of the, the light-hearted friendships could start to go away a little bit. They might fade uh, into the distance. So yeah, I'm, as I say, I'm, absolutely ecstatic to see how this goes ahead yeah um and uh i think we have to talk about it now okay it, it, yeah, it is inevitable it's the right time tristan oh no, <laughs> no. Opinion. <laughs> why me your opinion a pin start off let's ease into it opinion on Mercedes and Red Bull and how they did in the race and then move on to the Hamilton and Verstappen battle yeah. and then, and then move, move on, on to the other thing yeah, um, yeah. Uh, the incident that shall not it be shall named. not be named no um, right so obviously Mercedes I think they've made a massive leap um, as Hamilton and Bottas have said they've it's a really noticeable dis difference for them um, from uh, pre-season testing to the race now. They said they felt a lot more comfortable in the car. Obviously, Bottas still came on the radio during practice and said that the car is still nearly undrivable and that he was really lacking grid. But they managed to sort out a decent setup and what was actually a pretty good strategy throughout the race. But... Obviously, things could have found out very, very differently um, had Sergio Perez been up there to combat Bottas and, you know, join in on this little battle for first and the podium places. Um, because then Red Bull would have been able to split strategies and be able to cover Mercedes on both fronts. So I think what gave Mercedes the edge here, even though they might not have had the quicker car on this instance or had pole position or anything, they still had the better strategy and they went for the undercut, which at the end of the day proved to be the more powerful uh, option. And I'm surprised that Red Bull then went on to pit much, like several laps later, 
rather than instantly trying to defend against the undercut, uh, despite Verstappen and Hamilton being on the same tyres at the start. So, yeah, slightly questionable strategy from Red Bull. Yeah. You know, it's early days. I think they're still getting their heads around being actually in contention for the wins this season, you know, being quite so close to the front, practically being the front themselves. Um, And it's taking them a bit of adjusting to. So hopefully they'll be able to figure out the correct strategy for Imola, Um, a track which they haven't had much practice on. um, But who has? Yeah, nobody. Um, And they didn't actually, I think they only ran two practice sessions uh, last year. So nobody's going to have much data. So I think this is Red Bull's advantage this time to, you know, pull some surprise strategy out of the bag and completely stun Mercedes. Yeah. So, and of course, Max put in the gravel yeah. last year. Yeah, that was down to the puncture, I think. The rear right just blew up, yeah. which was a shame because he'd just overtaken Bottas, I think. So, yeah, hopefully... A- Better tyre management this year. Um, so now, I, unfortunately, I have to face hmm. the incident. Bum, bum, bum. The incident. And I'm, I'm sorry, we said it wouldn't be named. It's the turn four incident. Track limits. Yeah. This... I would call it the turn four controversy. Okay. The turn four controversy. There's an incident. At, it's multiple incidents at turn four, isn't it? Mm. Really. So yeah. it's a it's a controversy. So. <laughs> so, I'm going to be very very careful about how I go about this. You could offend millions I, uh, of people. I could, but I doubt millions of people are listening. <laughs> so we'll wow. just. You know what? They're now going to switch it off just because just because said I said that. I'm very sorry. Please stay. <laughs> um. All right. So firstly, I'm just I'm going to have a bit of a bone to pick with the FIA here. Whether this was the FIA's decision or the track um, owner's decision, like the, the stewards or whatever, um, changing the track limits between qualifying and the race. I'm not sure quite what the details were on it, but Leclerc spoke to um, the press after the race and said that the drivers had been briefed on that if you went wide at turn four, you would you wouldn't receive a penalty. They would be ignoring it pretty much. So that was really interesting. But then they changed that mid race. Yeah, and then they changed that mid race after they saw the advantage that people were gaining from it. Which again I think was the wrong move. Because if you've if you've done something like that and you've you haven't told you, still drivers, let it slide. you just you have to let it slide. Um so it's it's really unfortunate the way that things panned out um, in the end. So, yeah, I think the wrong decision in general, but um, hopefully we don't see something like this happen again and we can just see things settled on track rather than through penalties and things um, between Max and Lewis and perhaps other drivers too. Um, so I'm going to get on to, obviously it was legal, at the end of the day, um, what done. But was it fairly legal? I think is yeah. the question. What was illegal was, unfortunately, Verstappen's move um, because there was a clash between the regulations and the track limits because you can't 
pass someone off the track and gain a lasting advantage um, by doing that, that you can extend the track if it's just you. If it's just you going that way, then and there's no one alongside you, then I think it should be... I think the idea was that that was all right. That was acceptable in the Stewart's book. But to pass a car off track, we've seen it many times in the past that drivers have had to hand the position back. But I think Max was obviously absolutely furious that he had only actually been starting to use this technique halfway through the race because he thought that it, it wasn't allowed. So, and then for the stewards to change their mind mid-race was, it's definitely not the sort of thing that you expect to see at the, the top level of motorsport, to say the least. Um, yeah, so what's your take on it? I think you've summarised basically everything. Yeah, I don't. I think you shouldn't just, as stewards, you shouldn't chop and change. But Max can't blame the stewards for not taking advantage. I mean, fair play for Mercedes to exploiting it for when they did. But the stewards shouldn't just go, hold up, hold up. We didn't realise that we were going to actually like drive metres and metres off the track. Um, you know... So they, you know, they have to let it flow. I think that's what you said. They have to, okay, Red Bull, because Red Bull literally went, Max, you can go wide at turn four in the next lap. The stewards were like, oh, no, no, don't. Um, mm. Yeah, so I think you're spot on. Yeah, okay. Very good. Okay, so that's sort of that's sort of the Bahrain Grand Prix sort of summarized. Um, summarized. But we're not we're not going to end that episode quite there. Not got quite a, yet. Got a couple more. We have this is this isn't this isn't just an F one race review podcast. This is an F one podcast, and we feel it is our duty to tell you the news. So uh, interesting. Um, not you know sort of hugely surprising, but uh, Hulkenberg is the Aston Martin official. Hey. <laughs> Hulkenberg is still getting this podium. He is, 100%. This time it's happening. Um, so, yeah, he's sort of, he's a, officially a reserve and development driver. So he's not just sitting there. You know, twiddling his waiting. thumbs. And so just... He's not just going to sit there and poison someone. Mm. Um, he's, uh, he's also, part of his role is he's going to be doing a lot of sort of, apparently he's going to be spending a lot of time in the simulator. He's going to be really helping the development of the car. Mm. So uh, if, you know, Vettel and Lance can't, you know, help, you know. He's sort of like a third F1 driver without competing in the races, basically. So he'll be really helpful in terms of dating and improving the car. Yeah. Um, he'll, I think that's... I think that's he'll great. be a real help um, to the team, I think. He's very good as a team player. I think we saw at Renault, he, yeah. was, he was great for, you know, moving the team forward. And he had been yeah. there since the... I think since the, the revamp... Um, in 2016, 2017, something like that. Yeah, he's a very loyal yeah, driver. He's been he a long time. He was at Force India previously, and this Aston Martin is actually sort of, it's Force India reborn, effectively, with Racing Point in the middle. So he has, and of course he raced with them, well, you know, Racing Point a couple of times last season. So mm. it's not like he's new to the team. Um, but yeah, it's great. I think, you will have a very hard time trying to find someone, an F1 fan or someone in the paddock who goes, Nico Hulkenberg, I don't like the guy. Yeah. Nico Hulkenberg, I hate him. Yeah. No, it's I don't very unlikely. Um, yeah, you have your work cut out, certainly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's good news. And uh, one, one not 
quite F1 here, something a little bit naughty. Um, but as some of you know, Formula E is uh, happening again this season. Uh, it's free to stream if you're in the UK uh, on BBC. It's great I, news. I don't know. I don't know if you're from I don't know the US. I'm sure Sky or someone will do it, um, or NBC or yeah. somebody. <laughs> someone will likely uh, cover it. So yeah, or just just use an illegal stream, but don't. Yeah, so, don't don't say you so. came from here. Um, but actually, uh, I, I, me and Tristan personally, we don't have Sky. We're not fortunate. No, we're we're not it. quite. Um, we we have to watch the Channel Four if you're in the UK. That is. So sort we'll have to wait and not look at social media for ages. Yeah, which is, I mean, actually, it, te- it teaches you good self-control. Yeah. Um, I feel more composed. So I am more complete now. Yeah, precisely. I've, uh, you know, I feel more sure of myself. Yes. Anyway. I am now complete. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I would highly recommend watching uh, Formula E. Um, uh, for those of you who don't know, um, it was the Rome doubleheader this weekend. So sort of what we saw in Austria, they had two Grand Prix, one on the Saturday, one on the Sunday. Um, but the one thing I want to say is if you are going to watch it, the worst thing you can possibly do is try and compare it to F1. Please never do that. Because it is it is its own sport in its own right. And actually, I was one of those people I, I, I sat down. I didn't, before I watched the first race, I sort of put it on a couple of years ago when it was like, I think it was like the Paris Grand Prix or something and I saw on BBC Sport, I watched it, I thought, <laughs> this is just a stupid version of F1. Mm. Um, and I, I've watched it properly this season, so I've actually followed it this season. Um, and it's not, it's a really interesting sport. It's, uh, it's, I mean, apart from it being single-seater and they sort of look like F1 cars, con- you know, sort of concept cars you see on Instagram. Yeah. Um, it is. It's a really interesting sport, actually. It's uh, so shorter races, so a bit like what we saw with the sort of sprint. You know what's being suggested. I think F two. I think it's slightly longer than the sprint format, um, but it is really interesting. And they have this thing called attack mode, where basically get an energy boost. Um, and me and Tristan have both, uh, you know, followed it not not super closely, but sort of quite loosely. Mm. And if you are just a motorsport fan in general, like me and Tristan, I'd highly recommend it because it is. It is not necessarily, you know, the Lewis Hamiltons of the world, but these are these are guys who either, you know, decided not to go into F1 or for whatever reason, or, you know, people like Stoffel Van Dorn, Pascal Wehrlein, you know, people who were in F1, oh. good drivers, good, good drivers in F1, but didn't, but for whatever reason, didn't quite make it. Um, whether that was teams going bankrupt or... Mm. You know, just, just general personal you know, circumstances in some cases, or maybe just yeah. um, drop the know, team, which is unfortunate, but yeah. it does happen. Yeah, so it's a, it's a really nice opportunity to actually see some drivers. So Seb Buemi, you know, Le Mans winner who also drove for Toro Rosso back in two thousand and nine. Another Toro Rosso. Yeah, Verline, Van Dorn. Yeah, and you might be. Uh, Vries, yeah, you might be familiar Vries. with Nick De Vries, the Formula Two World Champion yeah, of 2019. Yeah, and uh, Andre Lotter as well. He's quite a big name yeah. uh, in endurance race. Yeah, um, so it's really interesting. It's also some uh, an opportunity to learn some, you know, good good British drivers who aren't in F1 decided not to make the jump to yeah. F1. So Alexander Sim, uh, Mitch Burr, Mitch Evans, sorry, Sam Bird, yeah. you know, Jack Racing. It's quite nice to see. 
constructors that you don't see in F1. So, for example, Audi, BMW, Jaguar. Yeah. Mercedes, you'll be thankful to know, don't dominate Formula E. And it's really yeah. one of the good things about Formula E. It's not, you know, full out qualifying. Okay, you're first and you're going to win. The whole point is the grid is always sh- shook up every time. So if you if you decide to I would recommend you have a look at the results page on either the current season because you'll never see a driver really win two races or get like multiple podiums on the bounce because the whole point is if you're successful in the race, you qualify first, which means the track is at its most dirty. There's the most rubble. There's what we call marbles. So little pieces of rubber on the track is at its most dirty. Yeah. And so it makes it a lot harder to qualify well. So it's uh, it's actually it's a significant disadvantage, and actually that's why it is the most unpredictable sport. Uh, there are, I believe, twenty four drivers on the grid, and Jack Nichols, who's done a little bit of F one commentary for the BBC, he said about nineteen drivers are capable of winning the Formula E championship, yeah, and just this year so close. it won it. Yeah, it won it. It won its world championship status. Like, if I quickly get up the current F1 Formula E, um, sorry, hang on, I wrote Formula Three instead of Formula E. If I get up the current Formula E uh, standings, driver standings. Um, so you have here we go. Sandberg for Jaguar, forty-three points. This is after four races. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mitch Evans second, thirty-nine, and okay, third is on thirty-four. Fourth, thirty-three. Fifth, thirty-two. Sixth, thirty-two, and seventh, thirty. So that just tells you how it's close it is. So any result could shake up the whole order. Yeah. You can win maximum twenty-six um, points, I think. Twenty? No, no, you can win even more because than that. You can, you can win. Pole, if you get the win, twenty-five plus one plus pole, you can win a max twenty-nine points, and you can literally be. At this stage, you can be one of the worst. You can be one of the lowest drivers on the grid. Mm. Suddenly, you have a race where you get first and pole, and suddenly you're right up there with the big boys all over again. And that's what that's what makes it really interesting. Like the guy who's first, there's been four races, right? He's DNF'd in t- in half the races he's done this season, and he's first. Yeah. I mean, there's no way in F1 you retire. For, I mean, you have basically any more than four retirements in a season. It's quite hard to win a title, would you say? Mm, yeah. That's that's 100 potential points technically thrown up yeah, back. And that's, that's really difficult. Really Especially if you're trying to beat Mercedes and the Mercedes reliability. I mean, when was the last time Lewis Hamilton retired? Was it Malaysia 2016? Or has so. he had one more I, recently? There might have been one more recent than that. But... I, think that was one in, I think there was one in Austria or something. In yeah, something like that. Uh, I'm Lewis Hamilton, DNF. Um, when was the last time? France. Was it? Really? Yeah. No. Austria. Austria. Yeah, Austria 2018. I was mm. bang on that. Well, quite impressed with myself, yeah. actually. Good knowledge. Good knowledge. <laughs> um, but the, the overall yeah, point it. here is that it's much closer racing, but don't compare it to Formula One because it's so yeah. unbelievably different. They've changed the mechanics of everything. How... The general they, championship works and generally it, it's more action-packed because it's in a shorter space yeah, of time. The drivers are more keen yeah, to so, go for the moves. So, that, I must say, if you're a guy who likes crashes and motorsport, I'm, of course, not sort of Roman Grosjean mm. crashes. You know, if you're a guy who likes shunts, 
Formula E is it's is definitely place. something I'd recommend. It's just really, it's just really, it's street circuits, so you know you can't just oh gone wide. I'll just take the long route round. You go wide, straight yeah. up the wall. Um, which yeah, it's just really exciting racing. I just recommend it if you're a motorsport yeah. fan. If you, uh, you know, if you're still waiting for Emma, this is worth the watch. If you're gonna, if you're gonna take one less, actually no, take multiple lessons. We want you to have come out of this podcast feeling learned. Feel um, educated take, from us. Take it that Alpha Tori are going to be the next Mercedes. Um, watch Formula E, and what would you say our third point would be? I don't know. I'm not really a teacher. Uh, stewards, F1 stewards are stupid. Yes. Okay, so F1 stewards are stupid. Formula E is not Formula One. Go watch Please. it. Please. And um, wait, what was the final point again? I don't know. Anyway, that's anyway, great, guys, thank you for listening. It's been it's, it's been, been an absolute pleasure. I, I hope it's been fun. Yeah, hopefully you've I hope you stuck around to hear us. Thank you. Um, it's been it's a lot of fun to do this sort of thing. Uh, the last yeah, and we really enjoy it. If you got you know, as long as you guys are enjoying and listening, and even if you guys aren't enjoying but still listening, yeah, if you're <laughs> listening to us ramble on for an hour and a bit, then you're not. Know I actually say, well done to yeah, you. Well done. You, you've you put up with my surprisingly annoying voice for almost an hour now. So, well done. More than yeah, that. over an hour. Oh, well, no. Well, it depends. We'll see how much. Yeah, precisely. Anyway, thank you so much. Um, we will try and do an MLR. We yeah, will. we will. Sorry. We will we'll do, do it much we more punctually next time. But... Next next week or midweek or the weekend after yeah. um, and it will 